Welcome to the cemetery. I'm Nathan Barnett, former gravedigger from spooky old New England, and you're listening to Grave Stories. How you like that? Pretty good, huh? I got an intro. I got a catchphrase. I got a sentence that I can say. Ooh, that kind of rhymed. I think I did rhyme. Didn't kind of rhyme. That did rhymed. Yay! Hello, welcome, thanks for coming back, thanks for listening to so many of these. This is, I don't even know what number this one is. This is, this is number a bunch. So I'm going to do two stories this episode. Gonna go back to the book from the first episode, Nantucket Ghosts, one of my favorites. I'm going to be sad when this book is done. Uh, I've read this book all the way through. And but it's been a few years. I haven't read this book since. So the stories, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this one. I think this one's about this or something. I have like a vague memory of like each one. But there is one in here that's my favorite and possibly my favorite like ghost story or tale about someone's experiences. I don't want to kind of like calling it ghost story. I have like a comprom. I'm like, what's the word? I have a problem (laughs) with saying ghost story because that sounds like a fictitious tale account spooky account naughty spirits buzzing around documentary the documentary on naughty spirits the 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 textular documentary documented in text i am going to read two from this today textular documentaries And that's, I think, a better way to format this podcast. But this podcast is going to be all over the place. But you'll have spooky stuff. I might do like 10 short, short ones. Because I do have another book that has like one page, half page stories of people saying like, yeah, this crazy thing happened to me. That's pretty much the story. But these are longer. So I like these because it takes up more time. And you get a lot more details in these stories in this book. Um, I'm bummed, too, because I had so many books of, like, collections of stories from people. Because when I was doing this on YouTube during live streams, I'd stream for, like, six hours sometimes. And I'd just read tons of ghost stories. And I got rid of all those books because, like, oh, I'm not going to do this anymore. But here I am doing it podcast style now. And I could be rereading these. But I guess it's good to get some new stuff, so... If I start remembering all of them, I won't get as scared. Although that's not true because I'm a mental moron and I forget everything and everything scares me no matter what. So uh, I'll still get some good chills out of these. Well, that being said, I don't like long intros. I don't know if I've said it before. Uh, I like just getting right into it. And every time I listen to podcasts, like Mark Maron, I love Mark Maron's podcast, but like I always skip the intro. Sorry. I do. I just want to hear the, the, the interview. So I'll save you guys. And you guys can always skip too. It's usually like at most five minutes the intro. Just skip it. Get to the juicy deets. So here we go. I'm going to begin after a word from our sponsor. So you want to know the story of Splatterhouse? The new horror video game for TurboGrafx-16. They say he stalks the old haunted mansion. They say he's looking for his girlfriend. They say his only weapon against the maggot-eating ghouls who took her is a 2x4. And you say you want to play this game? 
Splatterhouse. Only for the TurboGrafx-16 system from NEC. I don't know what I would do without these high-paying companies that allow me to play their ads for millions of dollars. Thank you to that sponsor, one of my favorites. Okay, this first story is to remember this is back. This is the book uh, by Blue Ballet, Nantucket Ghosts. And this story, account, this account, this textular documentary is titled Three Fishermen. You'll have to give me a few minutes to unwind because it's been a horrendous afternoon. I usually go right home after work and soak in the tub. Seated on the patio of the boarding house restaurant, Shirley Ferguson looked up at the late July light drifting down through the elm leaves. I can't believe it. It's the first time I've really noticed the sky all day. Let's see. I've had a Perrier with two slices of lime. I'll have Perrier with two slices of lime, please. So I'm understanding the setting is this person, this, this woman who writes this book, if you don't know, if you haven't heard the first episode of my podcast, um, the, this woman in this book interviews these people who had ghost experiences. And she's like clearly at a restaurant with this person and they're going to tell her the story. So this jumps back and forth between like the, net, the writer describing the setting and then quotes from the person. So, just wanted to say that, because this could be confusing if you don't really know the setup of the book. Alright, I'm a real estate broker, and my husband Gregory and I moved to the island in 1976. I bought our house in 1978. I had been looking for an old Nantucket house for a couple of years and hadn't seen any I really liked. I picked up a copy of the Boston Globe one day, something I never do, and flipped through the paper to the real estate listings. There, to my surprise, was a Nantucket house that I hadn't realized was on the market. I called up the owners, mostly out of curiosity, and went to take a look that afternoon. When I walked in, I knew immediately. I just knew from the moment I saw that place that this was it. It's funny how these things work. I had a terrible time purchasing the property, though. I had called up the people who were renovating a large house right next door because I knew that they owned commercial properties down the block. I wanted to find out if they were setting up a guest house or an annex to their business, but this was this was a big mistake. They hadn't known until I contacted them that our house was for sale. By the time I called with an offer on the house that evening, the abutters had already bought it. Oh, freaking bummer. She basically just told the competition, hey, this house is for sale, and then they went and took it. That's lame. I was devastated. I couldn't believe I had finally found a house I, was, I really loved only to have it snatched from under my nose. I ended up buying... Page turn, hang on a second. The house from the abutter for a considerably higher amount than the original asking price. Oh, that's a freaking ripoff. But I would have done a lot more to get that building. Our house was built sometime before 1750. The Great Fire of 1848 stopped one house short of mine which is why it is so much older than the buildings on the south end of the street. Interestingly enough, the house has changed hands many times. I think we've had it as long as any other single owner, and that's surprising, because in the 19th century, homes often passed from generation to generation. Maybe the building made people uncomfortable. The house is what you might call active. 
Unexplained things have gone on from day the day we moved in. We've gotten to know the house works and we can sometimes predict a flare up. It will be a busy it will be busy, for instance, a few days before and an afternoon of full a few days before <laughs> and after a full moon or when our children and their friends are home visiting. Things happen year-round, but I do notice more paranormal shenanigans during the winter months. We hear lots of noises. The house is full of muffled voices and sounds of people moving around. We hear laughing and giggling and singing, particularly on the second floor and in the attic. We can also hear the scampering sound of children's feet going back and forth above the upstairs bedrooms. At other times, we hear a heavier clumping sound, as if a child pretending to walk like an adult. The running and walking footsteps are mischievous, kind of playful in feeling. I've never sensed that there was a frantic or angry edge to the what was going on. These sounds have been heard at all times of the day and night. They have been heard by everyone in my family and by three of or four guests. We also hear a light tinkling sound like small bicycle bells. We first heard them during the summer and thought the sound was caused by people riding by outside. When the ringing sounds continued into the dead of winter, we had to admit that they were coming from inside the building. We've heard doors open and closing. All of the doors have latch fittings, and the thick clunk sound of a latch door is easy to identify. It's funny because sometimes the door will actually open, and at other times, you'll just hear the sound of it opening, but it will remain closed. That's, um, that happens with the front door. It was a heavy wooden bar that runs across the back. It has a heavy wooden bar that runs across the back, and it sounds like no other door in the house. I'll be upstairs or in the kitchen, and at times, I'll hear the door being opened and then closed. I must say, it makes me nervous <laughs> if I'm alone. I'll call out and then go to the entryway to look, and the door will still be firmly shut and, the, and locked as if nothing had happened. Once in a while, all the latches on the doors will start going up and down at once. Whoa. Okay, that's like poltergeist stuff. That's freaky. Making a rather maniacal rattling sound. Dude, if that happened to me, A, I'd have to film it. I'd be like, oh my gosh, it's happening. Look, 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 look. And I'd run out of the house at the same time. When this happens during the day, it just seems curious and quite amazing. <laughs> That's the thing. So stuff's happened to me in my mom and dad's house back in Massachusetts. And when it's happening, you're not thinking ghosts. You're try- your brain goes to logic instantly. And you're trying to like think rationally. And you're like, what? Okay, uh, it's just popping open because there's an electric current running through it? Or like... You just try to think of a logical thing as to why it's happening. Then after a couple of moments, you realize there's nothing that could cause this that's rational. And that's when you freak out. So it seems like that's what this person is doing when she, when she says, it just seems curious and quite amazing. All right, continuing on. But when it happens at night, I do get spooked. You can't help picturing unseen hands working away at the fittings. It's not a pleasant image. Another odd thing will happen when the house is in a particularly active phase. The windows have interior shutters, panels that fold back on themselves when open. They have been many times when my husband and I have been 
when I've been in the den talking or reading on a quiet night and seen the shutters on each one of the windows being carefully opened and folded back. Wow. You will see the latch that fastens them being lifted. Wait, what? That's like the thing you see in movies that you never see in real life. You never see the thing. Like, this is like straight up ghost activity. Like, oh, the cup is floating. That's what this is to me. This is just, that's on par. This is crazy. This is awesome. How do I remember any of this in this story? I don't know how I don't remember. I guess it's too many. It's 44 stories in this thing. Dang, this one's crazy. I like this one. Okay, continuing on. <laughs> Sorry, I stop so much. I stop way too much. I need to stop stopping. I need to stop. I need to start starting. You will see the latch that fastens them being lifted in both sets of panels slowly moving at the same time. My daughter was once in the living room with a friend from school telling her about some of the odd goings on in the house. Not surprisingly, her friend didn't believe her. Then they heard a scraping sound from across the room. One of the sets of shutters was being methodically opened. Her friend believed. Oh, I got the goosebumps. That's the first batch of goosebumps I got today. Like every story, some some moment will give me goosebumps. Oh, th- that is crazy. And that just, that reason I got the goosebumps on that is because I'm picturing these kids sitting there and the girl, the friend's like, the fr- one friend is saying, nah, I don't believe that. And the ghost is there listening to them and going, oh yeah. And then it shows them. And that reason I got the goosebumps is because the ghost is listening to them. That's crazy. That's nuts. Okay. Continuing. So sorry. My commentary is probably not welcomed, but I can't stop saying what I'm thinking. This book is amazing. My kids were teenagers when we first moved in, and I didn't tell them anything about the unexplained noises and sights that my husband and I had noticed in our home. I didn't want them to start imagining things or feeling uncomfortable. This is important in light of the following story. Oh, dun dun dun. Here we go. It was our first summer in the house, and my son had a friend visiting. I believed his name was Kevin Flynn. It was a gorgeous, sunny day. You know, I was going to say, I wonder if I would end up hearing a name in here that I know, because this is in Massachusetts. It's in my home state. I grew up on Cape Cod, which is the mainland of of this island. This island is just a short boat ride from where I lived. All This whole book takes place in Nantucket, and I'm from Cape Cod, Massachusetts. So this is my neighborhood, technically. So I'm always thinking, like, ooh, Kevin Flynn, is that someone I knew? That'd be so weird. One of my friends was like, yeah, man, I saw a ghost, and it's in this book. I wish I was in this book. Dang. Maybe someday. I gotta see some more. There's no ghost stuff happening out here in California. Los Angeles, I know there's some ghosts and stuff around Hollywood in those areas, but, like, man, I don't see anything. Nothing going on in San Marco around here. It's all happening back on the East Coast because it's spooky and old. All right. Story. Good story coming up. I know it. I can feel it. Story is tight. Here we go. It was our first summer in the house, and my son had a friend visiting. I believe his name was Kevin Flynn. It was a gorgeous, sunny day, and we were on our way to the beach. Everyone was outside in the car, and Kevin ran back. Page turn. Ran back in to get something he had forgotten in his bedroom. He galloped up the front stairs and went down the hall to his room. On the way out, he ran down the back way. When he reached the foot of the stairs, he saw three men standing by the kitchen table. Oh, I forgot. That's the title of the story. Holy crap. You, can you imagine? Okay, I, I got to stop interjecting. This is nuts. I can't process this. 
when he reached the foot of the stairs, he saw three men standing by the kitchen table. They were dressed as if they had just stepped in out of the storm, a storm. They were wearing old-fashioned suisters, those rain hats with a broad brim and long black oil skins. Kevin said that he thought he remembered beards. They were there one moment looking straight at him. Oh my God. As solid as could be. And then they vanished. It all happened in the blink of an eye. Dang, goosebumps again. I mean, that's insane. You think there's like burglars in your house. Or someone walked into the wrong house. Kevin was understandably badly shaken. He sprinted back up the stairs, stuffed all his things into his bag, and came out the front door looking very pale. He mumbled something about having to go and made us drive him to the airport. He flew home, never having given us a clue as to what had happened, and we really couldn't figure it out. Wait, he didn't tell their his parents what the heck? There was just three dudes in the house? Just, if this happened to me, my mom would be going crazy she'd be so happy my mom loves ghosts and we have a ghost in the house my parents are still in now back in massachusetts i i how can you not tell someone this is what drives me crazy about these stories i i don't understand this am i like completely different from everyone else every story i ever read something crazy happens to these people and they go let's never speak of this again why you idiots talk about it every day for the rest of your life because it's the coolest thing that will ever happen to you don't forget it talk about it all the time it's amazing I would never stop talking about something like this. I don't stop talking about the stories I read about these things happening to other people. And it's not even my uh, story. It's, this is tight, man. Oh, he didn't even tell them. I can't believe he didn't tell them. That's like saying, oh, guys, I just won the universal lottery. The craziest thing that can ever happen in this universe happened to me. But uh, I forgot to tell you. Oops. I was on TikTok busy looking at garbage. Oh, wow. This guy's a moron. Okay, sorry. I'm annoyed now. Gotta continue with the story. Greg and I bumped into him on a plane a couple years ago. Wait. Is this their son? Talking about him like he's just some friend. Bumped into... They bumped into their son on a plane a couple years later? Or is this the son's friend? I don't know. I think it's the son's friend. I'm getting too worked up over the ghost details and I'm not even paying attention to any part of the story. Greg and I bumped into him on a plane a couple years later. He came and sat with us, and it was then that he told us about the fishermen, as he called them. He said he just couldn't cope with the experience at the time. He was afraid to say anything for fear of being laughed at. Oh my god, who cares, man? And yet he was really too frightened to stay in the house. My son Peter... Okay, so it was the son's friend. Now I understand. I'm paying attention. My son Peter also saw three men. He was in his early 20s when this happened. He was headed down the hall to his room, which was dark even though the bathroom light was on behind him. He got to the doorway and found himself face to face with three figures. Oh, dude. He said they weren't absolutely solid, but they were clearly men in bulky outdoor clothing. He said that they were also larger and somehow broader than they should have been. They were standing abreast, and they seemed to fill the room. He was scared and stayed absolutely still. He says they moved rapidly toward him and right through where he was standing. Oh, my major goosebumps. Holy Fruit Loops. 
it took him a long time to get over that. He turned all the lights on every time he went upstairs at night. He slept with his bedside lamp on for the next two months. I could go on and on. There have been many separate incidents in the house over the years. My husband and I had an odd experience four or five years ago that I've always found intriguing and particularly strange. The house diagonally across the street from us is also old. It was built in the in 1760s. I was handling a rental for that house and had heard from the owner, Elizabeth Chandless, that the house was haunted. She told me that some tenants from England had seen people going up and down the stairs and had heard constant rapping and knocking on the walls. She claimed that the house had been built for a woman by the name of Love Starbuck. I thought it was interesting, but I hadn't gotten around to mentioning it to my husband. We had a dinner party to go to that evening, and we didn't really have a chance to talk before going out. When we drove home after the party, my husband parked the car, which was a small convertible, in front of the Starbuck house. As he was putting up the roof, I walked across the street to our house and turned around at the front door. I thought about what Mrs. Chandless had told me, and as I looked at Love Starbucks' house, I got a real chill, a kind of uh-oh sensation. I turned and hurried inside. Greg came inside five minutes later looking absolutely white. He plopped down on the sofa and said, Shirley, I've just seen two ghosts. Oh, dude, this is awesome. Now, he is a rational, straightforward guy, and he's never been one to imagine things. He said he had put the car to bed for the night and crossed the street toward our house. As he approached, he saw two women standing in front of our door. They were talking in quiet voices and gesturing toward the Starbuck house behind him. One wore a Quaker bonnet, and they were in long skirts. Oh, old clothes are spooky. I'm going to pause for a second. This is something my friend Paul always says. He goes, how come ghosts are always wearing top hats and white gowns and old spooky clothes? How come they're never wearing Jenkos? How come they're never wearing airwalks? And they're never wearing 90s clothes? I always thought that was so funny. I was thinking, yeah, ghosts are never 80s or 90s. If anything, they're like 70s. So I wonder if it's like a time, it's like a gap where like, okay, you can't show up until you're really, you're 40 years on this, this timetable and this earth and this dimension has passed. And then that's when you can start showing up as a ghost. So you can do things, but we can't see you in your clothes. I always thought that was interesting, but I think that there have been stories where people have seen people from very current times and it's not always old clothes, but it just often is. Okay, anyway, he didn't think, uh, so one was wearing a Quaker bonnet and they had long skirts. He didn't think much of it, assuming they were coming home from a costume party of some kind. He glanced down as he stepped up on the curb and when he raised his head, they vanished. Ah, Of course, you can never look away, you can never, ever look away. There was nowhere they could have gone in a split second. They had only been four or five yards away. And the street was empty. When you say, what can you say when something like that happens to you? I know he'll never forget it. Page turned. One year around Christmas time, we had some friends over and the front doorbell rang. As I walked to the door, I caught a glimpse through the side lights of, uh, wait, what? 
Oh, yeah. Through the sidelights of a young girl who, with long blonde hair standing outside. We weren't expecting anyone else. But I said something like, oh, that's funny, and went to the door. It went to the door. <laughs> it was snowing outside. There was no one in sight. Stranger still uh, were no footprints on the sidewalk. One of my guests had also seen a young girl through the window. So I know that I hadn't imagined it. And someone had rung the doorbell. Ooh, spooky. Objects often get moved around the house. It's, a, it's always a teasing sort of thing, but it can be trying. I have a nice gold lighter. And one night I had put it down on my bedside table. I turned to pick it up and it was gone. I looked under the bed, around the table, even under the sheets. In fact, I practically pulled the bed apart looking for it. Finally, I sighed and went off to the bathroom. The room was empty for a moment. And when I returned, there was the lighter in the middle of my bed, right on top of the quilt. Ooh, that's cool. Okay, I'm not going to interrupt too much more. I'm just going to try to finish this as like one page left. But that's what happens to me and my mom and dad and my brothers back in my parents' house. Like we always, always were looking for keys. We always hung them on this key rack. One time I couldn't find my keys anywhere. I was looking all over the house. And then when I came back through the kitchen, I was home alone in the house. I came back downstairs after looking for like a third time in my room. I was like, I, I guess I can't leave. And I walked into the kitchen and my keys were sitting there right in the kitchen floor, in the middle of the kitchen floor, like nothing around them. It was weird as saying, like, I would have seen them. I would have stepped on them, kicked them. There they were. It was crazy. So ghosts love snatching things up. That's like a classic ghost move. I'm quite aware of where I leave things, and our house is neat. Often, I'll put a book down and just turn my head, only to find that the book has been moved to the floor or to another table. One day, I lost my favorite silver piece. I went through everything in my kitchen looking for. I finally found it stuffed in the back of a drawer where it certainly didn't belong. There is a naughty, now you see it, now you don't quality to these things happening. I lost two diamond studs about six years ago. My cleaning lady just found one of them lying under a bed in our back bedroom. We painted and refinished the floor in in there last year, so it couldn't possibly have been there all that time. I'm just hoping the other one will rematerialize also. When things get too wild in the house, we have a period with a lot of shutter opening and door closing, clicking, and hidden objects. When it all goes, why can't I read these sentences? What is my dilemma? When things get too wild in the house, when we have a period with a lot of shutter opening and door clicking and hidden objects, when it gets when it all gets to be a bit much, I just talk to the ghosts. I say exactly the same thing every time. Standing downstairs in the front room, I boom in my loudest, firmest voice, This is my house, and I'm taking very good care of it. I want you to stop this right now. And I found that it works. Everything will quiet down for a while. That's a thing I've heard a lot in a lot of ghost stories. And... There's another, my favorite story, which is in this book. I can't remember the title of it, but we'll get to it in some episode. The woman, I think, does that. And it's, she's going through some crazy stuff, too. So that's really interesting that the ghost will be like, all right, fine. It makes you, isn't that crazy to think you can communicate with something that does no longer alive, but it's technically still alive because energy doesn't die. That's my theory. It's energy, and you can, energy can still understand and communicate with its former life. I don't know what's going on. I just want to know. I'm just guessing and saying random things. I'm using my simple mind to piece together the unknown. 
I wanted to talk to you outside of the house because I didn't want to get the place all stirred up. It's not that I'm afraid of all these goings on, but I do believe that whatever or whoever causes these disturbances in the house is very much aware of what we do and say. Mm-hmm. Oh, Marianne, a young woman had just passed our table and surely asked me if I'd like to talk with her. She had spent a summer living in the Ferguson's house. Marianne came over and sat down. Okay, so I guess they're in the restaurant. This is the author or the, and the woman telling the story are in a restaurant. And I guess the woman just saw someone she knows. And now that person is coming over and going to join the author. So I think there's two more paragraphs. I guess she's going to tell a story. I'm always saying this because I feel like this is confusing, like the way the story jumps around. But maybe it's not. Maybe you guys are smarter than me and you can follow along just as fine. I don't know. I'm so sorry. I will continue now. Marianne came over and sat down. I can, this is her now speaking. I can only stay for a minute, but I'd be happy to tell you about what happened. I can distinctly remember latches rattling. I also remember being alone in the house one evening downstairs and seeing one of the sets of window shutters being opened. I wouldn't call myself a believer, but I will say that I saw things being done by people when there were no people there. That sounds ludicrous, but that's exactly what it was. After Marianne had left, Shirley went on, I truly love that house. I'm sure I'll own it for the rest of my life. We definitely share the house with an unseen contingent, and that isn't always pleasant, but the things that happen honestly don't scare me as much as they used to. That house is my home, and no home is perfect. So some people some people put up with traffic noise. Others have bad heating system or cramped kitchen. We put up with ghosts. I've heard of worse. <laughs> That's a good story. That is a good story. That one is titled Three... Nope, is that... Yeah, that's Three Fishermen. All right. Thank you for sitting with me through that story and dealing with all my interruptions and my mind ramblings. We're going to get to the second story after we hear another word from this sponsor. Genesis brings you the 16-bit arcade challenge with Ghostbusters. 16-bit thrills in ghouls and ghosts and 16-bit arcade action with forgotten worlds. Gruesome ghosts, ferocious foes, battles of power, of magic and might. Ghouls and ghosts, Ghostbusters and forgotten worlds are for the Genesis system. Sega Genesis brings the arcade experience home. Game sold separately. Thank you so much, sponsor. That $10,000 check is going to come in so handy. Welcome back, everyone, to Grave Stories with me, Nathan Barnett, former gravedigger, current fool, current stinky moron. We're going to get into the next story here. This one is titled A Birdcage Table. And from what I remember, I remembered there being one with like the, with the word cage or birdcage in it. And this is it. And I think I remember this one being pretty good. So here we go. I should have been dead years ago. You know, I had cancer and I was given two months to live after the operation. The woman in my family, the women in my family have always been survivors. I'm just fine now, except these legs don't work during the winter. I have to stay in town. But come summer, I move to Sconset out there. I can sit in front in the front yard in my wheelchair and chat with everyone who goes by. I was born in 1911 in Irvington on Hudson. My parents summered on Nantucket from time to time. I was tiny. 
We used to travel on a ferry from New Bedford. The trip took five and a half hours. My father would bring my sister and me up to meet the captain, which was thrilling. And then we'd go down and see the engine room, which I always found dreadfully boring. My father was fascinated by the giant wheels and chains and pipes. My sister and I fidgeted and perspired. It was boiling down there. And pulled on his hands to take us back to the stateroom. Once we arrived, we weren't allowed to swim for three days. We had to get acclimated to the dangerous sea breezes before bathing. That was torture after waiting all winter to get to the beach. Once summer got underway, my sister and I went to the jetties every morning. We had a bathhouse there for changing. Mornings, mind you, afternoons, the beach were reserved for the help. All the cooks and maids and housekeepers went down in the afternoon, and it was just understood that the family stayed home. It was quite, it's quite a different world. My father bought our house on the north side of town when I was four years old. I'm trying to sell it now. It's a gorgeous 18th century home, but needs a great deal of work, and no one in the family can afford to keep it. Page turn. I've been warned by real estate agents not to say anything about ghosts, so I guess it's important that you disguise the location of the house and name, silly as that sounds. When my sister and I were about 10 and 12, we were sitting around in the house with some friends on a rainy day. My grandmother was visiting, and she told us about tipping tables, which is a popular Victorian pastime. The idea was that several persons who gather around a table and rest their fingers lightly on the surface... They would address a question to a spirit, and the spirit would communicate by causing the table to wrap one leg on the floor. Of course, we were fascinated. My sister and I wanted to try it. We sat down at a small round table in the parlor. It was a tilt-top birdcage tea table. It had three legs and had been made in the early 19th century by a cabinet maker from Connecticut. The birdcage was a small open box on the underside of the table, purely decorative, but hand-turned spindles on all four sides. We rested our fingers on the surface of the table and said something like, Is there a spirit in the house? To our utter astonishment, the table started to move. It kind of rose up on all, uh, uh, one, uh, all on one corner and started to rap on the floor. My grandmother said, Quick, a pencil. We have to count. The way it worked was one rap stood for A, two for B, and so on. I took, it took a long time to get a message down. The table wrapped along for about 10 minutes. When it stopped, we found we had a name. It was Alec Paddock. From then on, my sister and I would just ask Alec questions, and he always answered. We could do it in front of any number of people. Word got around in the community that two little girls were tipping tables. To our delight, we became local celebrities. My father researched the house in the town records and found that a man named Alec Paddock had indeed owned our home. Apparently, he had hanged himself in the keeping room. Oh, God. Alec seemed to be a friendly spirit and was very helpful. We asked him all kinds of pressing questions, such as, is anyone going to invite us to the yacht club to the yacht club dance? And he always answered patiently. I don't remember him ever being wrong. Some of our communications were quite lengthy. Once he spelled out something about being disturbed and we asked him what the matter was. He said, I don't like the weeping stone. 
No one had ever heard of such a term. It finally occurred to us that it might have to do something with the structure of the house. We asked a local mason if he had heard anything of a weeping stone. He said, why, yes. There was all, there is always, <laughs> there always used to be a damp spot somewhere next to the chimney in these old houses, a brick that drew and absorbed moisture. Sure enough, we found a weeping stone in my bedroom on one side of the fireplace. You could feel it through the plaster. It was quite wet and still is. We hadn't even noticed it before, never having heard of such a thing. Alec told us at one point that there was a treasure hidden in the attic. Of course, my sister and I felt, the sister and I and our friends shrieked and scampered right up there. And one of us promptly fell through the ceiling of the second floor. My father was furious and we had to give up on further attic investigations. I've always felt that there probably was money or jewelry hidden up there. Oh my gosh, you gotta go check, lady. If someone does extensive renovations on the house, I'm sure they'll turn up something valuable. Alec was outspoken. Some distant relatives stayed with us one summer, and one of them asked Alec a question while my sister and I were at the table. These people were rather difficult, and I don't remember being too fond of them. Alec spelled out, I don't like you. I wish you'd go home. Oh, I got goosebumps. Alec was so communicative that people began coming to ask him questions about the stock market. I guess that was pretty good. I guess he was pretty good at giving them answers they needed because they kept coming back. I got to be, it got to be a nuisance, in fact. And at one point, my parents were bothered by a steady stream of visitors. One gentleman who called at the house was a researcher who specialized in exposing fraudulent mediums and fake paranormal goings on. He wanted to observe our table tipping. We hadn't, we didn't mind a bit. He said he was going to sit and think of a question to ask Alec. He would ask it silently in his head as proof. He wrote the question down and put it in his pocket. We sat down at the table. He sat in the corner. Pretty soon, the table started to move. It wrapped away, and the researcher counted the wraps. When Alec was done, we had the message, Perry Lachaise. My sister and I didn't know any French and wondered what this gobbledygook could mean. The researcher was dumbfounded. His question had been, where is my good friend buried in France? Oh, the answer was the Pere Lachaise Cemetery. The same man did another experiment with us that was quite startling. He had us put our fingers lightly under the edge of the table and try to lift it while he was on top of it. Amazingly, the table rose right up in the air. I can remember the feeling of lifting the table, researcher and all, as if it were a piece of paper. Holy freaking crap. This is nuts. These are like two little girls. This is amazing. This is why this story, I knew this one was good. I didn't remember what the heck happened, but I thought there was something about like a missing piece of the table and it kept floating around. This is awesome. This is better than I remembered. This man included us in a book that came out sometime in the 30s. My sister and I continued the wrapping all through our teens, and it was only when we got married and went our separate ways that the table sat still. When my daughter and I cleared out the house last year, we sold a lot of the furniture. Raphael Osana, the auctioneer, got $4,000 for that little table. I never told him about Alec or the wrapping. 
I'm sure the current owners would be surprised if they knew what the table used to do. This story freaking rules. I mean, you should have told them. That thing could have sold for like $10,000. I would have bought that thing for 4000 bucks. I want a ghost to tell me all kinds of stuff. Dang, that's amazing. This story rules. I am very happy with this episode. <laughs> this is honestly like my favorite episode of this podcast so far. These are two super good stories. I am pumped. All right, I'm going to wrap it up because I think this first story took a while. Probably getting close to an hour now. So thank you, everyone, for listening to this podcast. I really love doing this. If you are enjoying it, please let me know. If there are things you want me to change, please let me know. Like literally anything, any critique, I will never be offended. Please tell me. I want it to be as good as, that can, as it can be. Thank you for listening. My name is Nathan Barnett, former gravedigger from spooky old New England. And this was Grave Stories. Bye-bye.